Transcranial magnetic stimulation is a tool now used to study how the brain organizes different functions, such as language, memory, vision, or attention. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Charles Epstein, Professor of Neurology at the Emory University School of Medicine. He is Director of Operative Monitoring and the Founder and Director of the Laboratory for Magnetic Stimulation at Emory Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Epstein. I'm glad to be here, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Today we are discussing the use of transcranial magnetic stimulation to study memory and language in addition to treatment of other diseases. Dr. Epstein, we recently finished discussing the treatment for depression. What other illnesses is transcranial magnetic stimulation used for? TMS has been used experimentally to treat schizophrenia, obsessive-compulsive disorder, Parkinson's disease, other movement disorders, and even headache. Now, neurophysiologically, what's the common denominator between all these diseases and the use of transcranial magnetic stimulation? Mark, I'm honestly not sure. The common denominator is that the brain runs on electricity and electromagnetism may affect it in many different ways. Well, tell me what you think. I'm not sure there is a common denominator. The difference in what we do now and what people have tried to do for well over a 100 years, putting electrical and magnetic fields into the brain, is that we now have a somewhat better idea of where to aim the field. In treating depression, for example, we aim for a prefrontal area that seems to have some role in mood. In treating schizophrenia, people aim for a temporal lobe area that may be involved in auditory hallucinations. And in treating headache, experimental treatment aims for the visual cortex where migraines seem frequently to begin. So what you're really saying is that you physically aim these magnets anatomically to the appropriate areas. Is that correct? That's right. And do you sometimes confirm this with a functional MRI or other imaging studies like that? We do try to confirm it. It's not easy. A magnetic stimulation coil may generate a magnetic field of one to two teslas. Putting that inside a 1.5 tesla MRI machine is a recipe for potential disaster. A few labs do that. It's very delicate and tricky, and they've done a wonderful job making it work. People have used PET scans and SPECT scans, and we're getting better at measuring what and where we have an effect, but it's still not a complete science. 
Now, something that's curious to me, you've got a magnet that is placed over the anatomical area that you're interested in. You would think that the skull, being reasonably thick, would disperse the magnetic flux to a point where it couldn't be focused accurately. Is that just not the case? That's a great question. It comes up all the time. If you put wires on the scalp and pass electricity through them, the skull and the different conductivity of your head will make an enormous difference. But the magnetic field does not care. The magnetic field goes right through skin and skull and cerebrospinal fluid and basically has the same effect it would have on the brain if those structures were not there. If there happened to be any physicists or engineers listening right now, the equivalent would be to say that the eddy currents are very small. And how has your success rate been with diseases such as Parkinson's, epilepsy, and schizophrenia as compared to depression? My own work has been only in depression and Parkinson's disease. And in Parkinson's disease, um, treating people who actually have both refractory depression and Parkinson's disease, we've gotten some tantalizing improvements. And the main improvement, to my surprise, was in the off state of Parkinson's disease. People who have seen Parkinson's, once it's moderate or advanced, are familiar with the fact that it's hard to keep people perfectly tuned with their medications. They turn on and they move pretty well, and then later in the day they turn off and may just freeze solid for an hour or two. That's the worst state, and that's where we seemed to benefit from TMS. Now, I will say this was an open study, not a double-blind one, so we have to be careful, but it was certainly an encouraging result. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Charles Epstein, professor of neurology at the Emory University School of Medicine. He is also director of operative monitoring and the founder and director of the Laboratory for Magnetic Stimulation at Emory Hospital. Today we are discussing the use of transcranial magnetic stimulation in various illnesses such as depression and also used to study memory and language. Dr. Epstein, how is transcranial magnetic stimulation used to study memory and language? In studying memory, we take advantage of some new discoveries and also, I think, have reinforced them. For many years, it was taught that memory lives mostly deep in the temporal lobes in an area called the hippocampus. And certainly, in rare patients who've lost the hippocampus on both sides, memory function becomes spectacularly bad. 
what has developed in the past 10 years or so is the realization that the temporal lobes do not work alone, that the prefrontal areas just behind the forehead are intimately involved in learning new things. We've known for decades that the prefrontal areas are central to working memory, the things we hold on to for a few seconds and then either make permanent or discard. We now know that the same areas work with the temporal lobes and the hippocampus in making permanently ingrained memories and that the frontal areas are vital for learning new things. Decades ago, we were fooled in memory research because they tested only very familiar things. But new stuff requires working memory and the frontal lobes, and the frontal lobes are a wonderful target for TMS because we can put the magnetic coil right up there it's actually about the same area we use to treat depression, and we can activate that area extremely well. And what would be the clinical applications for this? The clinical application is still in flux. We would like to say we can make your memory better, and it turns out that in a number of situations, people have demonstrated that TMS can measurably improve memory. This is not practical right now. It's not something that's worth installing in every doctor or neuropsychologist's office, but it's at least a measurable effect, and we hope that in the long run we can improve on it. And what about language? With language which is one of my own areas, I think we have reinforced our understanding that the brain is never as simple as we would like to think it is. About a century ago, a man named Broca described what's now called Broca's area, which is in the inferior frontal lobe near the temple, and which is supposed to coordinate in one place all language output, speech, writing, whatever kicks out language and symbols. It seems to be developing that there really is no Broca's area in the sense of one piece of brain doing all of that. We are finding that the functions that we said were one area are in fact different areas in the frontal lobe and even other lobes and that the one thing that has to occur in that area is the motor coordination of speech output. Speech is hard. It takes children years to learn it and get it right and put it out fluently. That is the thing that seems to live most consistently in that area, and it really seems to be as much a part of motor cortex as anything else. So 
what I've been saying here may be a bit obscure, but most doctors have heard of Broca's area, and the bottom line is that TMS, as well as other research, seems to be indicating that that simple idea of how we put out language is not really how the system works. I want to thank Dr. Charles Epstein, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the use of transcranial magnetic stimulation to study memory and language. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.